0: That selected music for the preludes and for the special, and now even for uh, the meditation time, did a really great job selecting those, and just a good time together, enjoying each other. And I hope that I, I I truly like this is the most fun I have is coming to church. You know, I truly enjoy it, so I hope you do too. I hope that you're already glad uh, that you came out today. We're going to be in Mark, Mark chapter twelve. This morning, Mark chapter 12, there was a man who was on vacation. He was strolling along outside of his hotel, and suddenly he was, his attention was grabbed by some commotion. And there was a, a mother kneeling in front of her child, and he discerned from everything that was going on that the child had swallowed a coin. So without hesitation, the man ran up, grabbed the child by his heels, turned him upside down, and shook him, and the coin fell out. And the mother said, oh, thank you. you. You seem to know just how to get that money out of him. Are you a doctor? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm with the IRS. <laughs> oh, it's that time of year, isn't it? We get un- we're not real enthusiastic about paying our taxes. But isn't it fascinating, the Bible says when it comes to giving to the Lord, we are to have a joyful, cheerful heart. He's given us every good thing we have, and it's good to give to Him. Giving is a very biblical topic. Money is a very biblical topic. Did you know that in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, One out of every six verses deals with money. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Out of the 29 parables that Jesus told, 16 deal with a person and his money. Money is a very biblical topic. Giving is a biblical topic. And the Bible has a lot to say about giving. We've looked at several different things. We've looked at how we are to be excelling, abounding in the area of giving, According to God's grace, we looked at uh, last, last week, we looked at miraculous giving, how the widow was willing to give uh, her last meal because God commanded her to give. And we looked at that in both the morning and the afternoon service. This morning, we're going to look at the motivation of giving. There is a story in which someone's offering turned Christ's head. It caught Christ's eye. And we find that in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. In this account, there's a giver that catches Christ's eye. Many people were giving at the temple that day. Many were throwing their offering in, but only one person received Jesus' commendation that day, and it's this poor widow. And there's a truth in this passage that may or may not have occurred to you yet, and it's right there in Mark chapter 12 where it says, and he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Jesus watches your giving. Jesus watches. He observes our giving. He's the alpha and the omega. He sees all that there is. He knows all there is to know, and he pays attention to your giving, and he knows your motivation for giving. He sees, in particular, the heart of your giving, and I wonder this morning, as we look at this example and what Jesus had to say about it, I wonder, are you a giver that catches Christ's eye? If Christ, this is just a sobering thought, if Christ commented on your giving, what would he say? What would he have to say about your giving in particular? Are you prepared to open your heart this morning and, and in faith as Christ uh, teaches us about our motivation behind giving. Notice, first of all, the scene. I've got to give you some understanding of what was going on, what was happening there. In Mark 41, it says, Jesus sat over against the treasury, and he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. The setting here, the scene, is in the court of women, at the temple. Along one of the walls, there would have been a lot of receptacles called trumpets because of their shape. They flared out. Nobody really knows exactly what they looked like, but along a wall, there were these trumpets that they called them, where you would put your money in and you give your offering. They may have even been labeled to indicate which uh, one was for what type of offering. For example, one commentator said that nine were for legal dues, temple taxes, and the like, four were for voluntary contributions. So along this wall, there would have been these trumpet-like receptacles that you could drop your money in, and they may even have had labels on them to tell you what they were for. And one by one, people would walk by this spot and drop their money into those trumpets, as they were called. And notice, first of all, about Jesus, Jesus observes why they are giving. He observes why they are giving. Jesus watches our giving. He sees our hearts. It's interesting to note, as one man said, the word for beheld there is the word for, uh, is the word theoreo, meaning it was thoughtful observation. We get our English word theater From this word, the Lord watched it all with an eager eye, all of the color and drama and often the play acting of the ever changing pageant of giving held his interest. He beheld, he thoughtfully observed each person that walked by and dropped their money in to those trumpets. He's watching your giving also. That principle is clear in Matthew chapter 6, that there is one that observes our giving. In Matthew 6, verses 1-4, through four, it says, "...take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Your giving should be observed only by your heavenly father, but guarantee he does observe it. By the way, this is one of the reasons that I like you know automatic and online giving, because I don't even have to go to the offering box. It's just between me and the Lord. And I think God sees it and honors it. But guaranteed, Jesus observes why we are giving. He's the only one who can. But then he also observes what is given. He observes what is given. You've got to remind yourself that in this day, uh, money was coinage. It was coins, it was metal. And so just imagine as the rich poured in much, the sounds that that would have made as they walked by. It'd be like you know, going to the coin star machine and just dumping your jar in and hearing it go che, che, when the rich gave much, Jesus watched, he made no comment. I'm sure his disciples, the poor fishermen, and other blue-collar men that were with him, Judas probably also marveled at the giving. Wow, did you see that? All of that money pouring in made quite a noise, made quite a spectacle, but Christ was not impressed. He knows what we give. He knows the amount that you put in. He knows the number on the check that you write. And every bunch of coins that fell into those boxes, Jesus knew how much it was. But more than that, he knew what it meant to the individual that gave it. He observed what was given. He knew all of the amounts. That's obvious because Jesus points out they had plenty left. He knew their net worth. He observed what was given. He observed why it was given. And he observes how it is given. Jesus watched how they gave. 2 Corinthians 9 6 and 7. Say, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. One of the main points that I want you to understand just at looking at how Christ observed people's giving is this God is far more interested in how you give than how much you give. He is far more interested in how you give than how much you give. What is the motivation behind your giving? What is your attitude toward giving in particular? And if Jesus sat and watched your giving, as we know he does, but if he observed your giving, would he see that you're giving out of the sense of obligation? Are you giving because you believe that it's going to get something out of God if you give? Are you giving to impress or giving to influence? Well, listen, you know, the church leadership knows I give a lot to this church. Are you giving to influence? Are you giving at all? Is your giving sporadic or inconsistent? Or, or would he see a purposeful and a cheerful giver? He watches our giving. And what set this woman, woman apart from the rich that gave was not the amount that she gave, but rather the manner in which she gave. The motivation behind her giving. And notice also, Jesus does not condemn the giving of the rich. He doesn't condemn it. He did not declare it meaningless, but He did declare that this woman's gift was far more valuable because of the attitude with which she gave it. One man said, When it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He also sees the proportion. Men see what is given. God sees what is left. And by that, he measures the gift and the condition of our hearts. If you were to step back and measure your level of giving, not based on what you give, but based on what you keep, does it still satisfy you? For example, how much does your cable cost? Okay, let me modify that, modernize that. What about all those streaming subscriptions? Those things add up. I'm not trying to meddle. I'm just trying to give you the opportunity to think in your heart. What about how much you're pouring into your kids' sports and extracurricular activities? If you walked around your house and looked at all of the tech and all the furniture and all the nice things, how much did that cost? Your car payments? That hobby? That Just your lifestyle? If you were to count your giving by what you keep, does it still satisfy you? Did you hear about the little boy and and his dad? They were playing together. They had gotten out all the boys' toys and they were playing store with the boys' toys. And so the father said, I'll give you a nickel for that set of binoculars. And the boy said, Dad, we're playing store, not church. And so the question that I'm trying to ask, as gently as possible, because this is something only the Lord really knows. Do you give with the same enthusiasm as you shop? Because that's how we can judge our giving based on what we keep. How are you approaching the opportunity to give to the Lord? He observes our giving. Just think about that this week, that Christ observes thoughtfully my giving. Every cent, and not only that, he knows my motivation. And then the subject. This scene is in the court of women at the temple, at the treasury there with all of the receptacles for giving. The subject is, in verse 42, there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. I want to point out some things about this woman. First of all, she was a widow. We talked about this last time. This is two widows in a row here. In ancient times, it was not easy to be a widow. For example, in describing the Greek or the Hebrew word for a widow, uh, this word book said that a woman who had lost her husband, a widow, occupied a precarious position within ancient society, because it was not common for women to work. The Mosaic law allowed a Leverite marriage as protection to these women, and there's several other injunctions against taking advantage of widows in particular in the Bible, and regulations providing for them within the community. These requirements are repeated in prophetic and wisdom traditions, and accusations from the prophets in particular suggests that they were not always followed. God is said to be especially attentive to the cry of widows, and he is presented as their special protector throughout the Old Testament. Women did not have a career path. They weren't able to just go out and make money for themselves. They depended upon the family structure in order to survive. And so she was a widow. And not only she was a widow, but the Bible makes it a point to point out that she was a poor widow. It says, a certain poor widow. A certain poor widow. Just to help you kind of understand just how poor this woman, woman actually was, the coinage of the day carried actual value in and of itself. The greater the value, the more valuable the metal of the coin and often the larger size of the coin. The might, as it's referred to here, was likely made out of bronze or copper, and according to many scholars, was about a centimeter in diameter, likely the smallest coin ever struck, and I have one, and you probably can't see it. That is one mite. It's made of bronze, it's ancient, and that woman had two. That's all she had. Everything she had. About the size of a smarty. With that money, she would have been able to buy a handful of grapes or a reservation at the public bathhouse, but that's it. It's like a dollar or two in our money. Some Bible scholars believe that the religious leaders, in their tendency to do these sorts of things, set a minimum contribution of two mites that anything below that, you're not even allowed to give it. It's too small. And I wonder, did this woman walk by the treasury in the temple and look at her two mites and think, if I'm going to give anything, I have to give both. Was she faced with the dilemma of giving it all or not giving at all? She was a a poor widow, destitute. Notice, this is obvious. She became a poorer widow. She gave all that she had. Whether or not she was faced with that dilemma, we don't know for sure. Regardless, she dropped all the money she had in that offering. And she became a poorer widow. She had nothing left. One man wrote, Jesus, of course, did not deny that the rich gave large sums. He merely said that the widow gave still more, for theirs was only a contribution, generous as though it was, while hers was a total sacrifice. It is good to remember that God measures giving not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves, and the widow kept nothing but gave both coins all that she had. You know, we are also not told the rest of the story. We are not told that her situation would improve. Some commentators point out that right before this, Zacchaeus told Christ that he would give half of his goods to the poor. So maybe, maybe Jesus did some follow-up after this, but we're not told that. There is no promise here that her situation improved as a result of her giving. There's no concept of seed money here. Jesus never said to his disciples, this woman is going to receive health and wealth for her sacrifice. She never was promised such things. That's not our motivation for our giving. She became a poor widow But what is just a wonderful thought is that she was a praised widow. Not by the people around her. Someone in Sunday school pointed out, as I said a moment ago, that all of those coins falling into the treasury must have made quite a racket and a spectacle. And someone in Sunday school pointed out, do you think that even made a noise when it fell in that box? Probably not. She might have had rich men, religious leaders behind her, watching her give, and they thought, what a joke. Why'd she even bother? She was not praised by the people around her. Nobody noticed her, but Jesus did. Jesus did. I want you to see something else. It does not tell us here that Christ ever approached her personally. She didn't hear the praise. She was not aware that God's son was watching her give. She didn't know who was in the audience that day as she gave. Do you know, we might feel as if our efforts go unnoticed, but the Bible teaches us that God keeps very careful records. Very careful records. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. In 1 Corinthians 15.58 it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. She was recognized and praised by Christ, but not face to face, not personally. She never heard the praise. She never got the recognition for herself, but rather she's now an example for all time of sincere, sacrificial giving. This widow was the subject here, and the scene was there in the temple, and then notice the sermon that Jesus took the opportunity to preach. The sermon, Mark 12, verses 43 through 44. He called unto him his disciples, I like that, Jesus was sitting there, he saw this woman give, and he said, hey guys, come here, I need to show you something, I need to tell you something. He gathered his disciples together, he made a point of saying, verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. In, her, in the sermon here, her giving was a standard. Jesus uses her as an example. Jesus uses this widow who gave just a couple of dollars, but it was all she had. He uses her as an example of giving. Is your giving something God could use as an example to others? Are you faithful in your giving? Are you intentional? In your giving? Are you sacrificial in your giving? A man by the name of Robert Arthington lived in a single room. He cooked all of his own meals and he was friends with students who were in need. Yet he gave tremendous amounts of money during his lifetime to missions. When he died, his estate was worth about $5 million, all of which he willed to missions. When they were going through his belongings after his death, they found a letter that he had gotten from a missionary, in which the missionary wrote, If I were in England again, I would gladly live in one room, make the floor my bed, a box my chair, and another box my table, rather than the lost should perish for the lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Robert Arthington took that letter personally and made that kind of self-denial a pattern For his life and gave all that he had. John Wesley once preached, "Oh, leave nothing behind you. Send all you have before you into a better world. Lend it, lend it all unto the Lord, and it shall be paid you again." But he didn't just preach those words; he lived them. He was once heard to say, "If, when I die, I leave behind me ten pounds, you and all mankind bear witness against me that I lived and died a thief and a robber." And when he did die in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins that would be found in his pockets because he had given the rest of it away. Her giving was set up as a standard. Christ used her as an example of giving. Her giving, Christ says, was superior. Jesus proclaims her giving as superior to all the rest. There was fortunes poured into the offerings box that day. So what made her gift superior? It wasn't superior in its amount. It was superior because of her motives. It was her heart that was the key. Andrew Fuller illustrates this truth. There tells of a time when Fuller went back to his hometown to collect money for missions. And one of his contacts was an old friend, and Andrew Fuller presented the need to his friend, and the man said, well, Andrew, seeing that it's you, I'll give five dollars. No, said Fuller. I can't take money for my cause, seeing it is for me. And he handed the five dollars back. The man understood his point. Andrew, he said, you're right. Here's ten dollars, seeing it's for the Lord. It's not the amount we give. It's the motive that Christ looks at. Her giving was superior to all the rest because of her heart in giving. Because her giving was sincere. Sincere. The disciples were impressed with the amounts. They probably had never seen so much money at one time. And Jesus, he was impressed with the heart. The gift does not matter so much to God as the giver. And Jesus was impressed with the heart. In 1995, the news broke that an old woman, Mrs. McCarty, donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi for their scholarship fund. This 87-year-old woman had been forced to drop out of school in the sixth grade to care for her family, and for more than 60 years, she made a living washing clothes for hire in Hattiesburg, Mississippi saving as much as she could from her meager pay. She wanted others to have the opportunity for the education she never received, so she gave away the money she saved for many years. Our society values how much a person has. God values how much a person gives. And when the people gave at the temple, Christ praised the woman who cast in just two mites because of the sacrifice that it represented. Christian giving ultimately boils down to having faith in the promises of God. And this is not faith that's unique to missionaries or preachers. This is something that all of us have to practice ourselves. For example, John R. Rice tells the story of a pastor in Texas who was asked by Mr. Duke, the founder of Duke and Ayers Nickel Stores, if he believed in tithing. The pastor said, Mr. Duke, I I do believe in tithing. Well, pastor, do you practice tithing? No, sir, I I don't. I believe in tithing, but I I can't practice it. I preach it, but I, I can't practice it. I have 13 children at home. Every time we sit down for a meal, 15 of us sit down at the table. I only earn $125 a month, $1,500 a year as a salary. I have to maintain my own horse and buggy for travel. It's impossible for me to take care of all the needs of my family out of $125 a month and have money left to tithe. So, Mr. Duke, I I believe in tithing. I even preach tithing, but I, I just haven't been able to practice it. Mr. Duke said, all right. I want you to give to God at least $12.50 every month as soon as you get your salary. And if you feel led to give more, you can give more. And I promise you that if you need help, I will give it to you. Just write me a letter and say, Mr. Duke, I am giving my tithe, but I miss the money. I need it from my family. I have given this much this year, and I promise that I will send you a check by return mail. Are you willing to try tithing on that basis?" The pastor was excited and began immediately to tithe. And that year, God took care of all of his needs in unexpected ways, and he never had to write a letter to Mr. Duke. And this is what he thought. At the end of the year, he realized that he had trusted Mr. Duke's promise to provide for him more than he had trusted in the promises of God. He said, I have taken the word of a man when I did not take the promise of God. Now I had proven God's promises and found that he took care of me and my big family on a small salary. I found that $112.50 per month took care of our family better with God's blessing than 125 did without being under God's blessing. The Bible is full of examples, full of examples of people that gave. Abraham, what was Abraham willing to give to the Lord? His son. Laid him on the altar, took the knife in his hand, and was ready to give his son in obedience to to the Lord. Barnabas owned some land, and when the church people had a need, Barnabas was willing to sell his land and give the whole price of it to the church. Paul was willing to give his life. I love that. In Acts 20, verse 24, I think it is, where he says, I don't count my life. I don't don't give much thought to my life. He's not worried about giving his life for Christ. He's willing to give his life. David, David, I I don't know if I'll get to this one this this year or not, but David, there was a point in David's life where he had to sacrifice to the Lord to, to make To make up for one of his sins, to to stop the judgment that was coming because of one of his sins. And the owner of the land said, listen, David, King David, I will give you everything you need. David offered to buy the land. He offered to buy the oxen and buy everything he needed. And, And the owner said, no, 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 king, I'll give it to you. And David said this, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. David understood that it's not worship if it's not sacrifice. He was willing to give. Hannah, she was willing to dedicate her son. God was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son on our behalf, and Christ was willing to give us himself. And what is the motivation behind your giving? What are you willing to give to the Lord? Because that's where giving starts. As the church of Macedonia first gave themselves to the Lord... What is God leading you to give? It's really not the amount that He's interested in. We've already looked and seen that it needs to be a specific amount. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to be thought out. But God really isn't impressed with the amount. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at a sacrificial, cheerful, sincere giver. Your giving If Christ were to comment on it, what would he say? And your giving, does it catch his eye? We're going to bow our heads this morning and encourage you to just, before the Lord, examine your heart this morning. What what is the motivation behind your giving? And ask him to speak to you in this area in particular. And we'll have an invitation song in a moment.